This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, as we're going on air right now, a catastrophic humanitarian war crime process is going on in Gaza, in Palestine, and the West Bank. As we're coming on right now, the latest reports from the Ministry of Health in Gaza says that close to 5,000 Palestinians have been killed, 1,800 of whom have been children, 15,000 are injured, 30% of the buildings in Gaza have been decimated, there are tens of thousands of homeless people, refugee upon refugee in Gaza, only 20 aid trucks were allowed to come into Gaza within the last 24 hours, although a few more might be coming in. On a typical day, Jamal, 400 trucks from Egypt go into Gaza every day to bring food. This is a catastrophic humanitarian crisis. Israel is committing war crimes before the world, and the United States is going along. We have a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking about events on the ground in Palestine the extent of the uh, media bias and the misinformation, how the U.S. is attempting to rescue and show its moral leadership in the face of these catastrophes, and the fact that Joe Biden, the president of the United States, wants to commit $100 million for Palestinian aid, but $15 billion to the Israeli war machine. And we also have to talk about the possibility of regional war, which is a real possibility with Hezbollah and what's happening in Syria and in the broader Middle East. But before we get to that, Jamal, we're going to watch an interview you did with Arielle Corin. She's going to discussing her recent uh, piece in The Guardian. Quote, we're anti-Zionist Jews and we see genocide unfolding in Gaza. Arielle is an activist with the No Tech for Apartheid campaign. It's a really great interview. Absolutely, Jess. And then this is actually, uh, I mean, anti-Zionist uh, Jewish supporters of Palestine have been around for a long time. But uh, the media has, uh, has taken notice just recently in the past two weeks, and it took them to go to Capitol Hill and, you know, conduct a sit-down and, exactly. and go to the federal building in San Francisco and to Nancy Pelosi's office and do the same thing and chain themselves so they won't be evicted. And uh, but as, as you know, uh, none of them uh, is being invited to mainstream media to talk about their sentiments and what they're been saying. So let's uh, watch Ariel. Since October 7th, Israel's relentless bombing of Gaza has slaughtered over 4,500 Palestinians, including more than 1,800 children. Israel's bombing of hospitals and siege of all resources, including electricity, leaves them no access to emergency care. President Biden has given unequivocal support to Israel to reject the ceasefire. The United States acted alone to veto a UN resolution calling for a pause in Israel's onslaught to allow humanitarian assistance into Gaza. Israeli officials are grooming the world to normalize and validate its genocide of Palestinians by vilifying and dehumanizing them as a people. EU countries and Britain are raising no objection. However, throughout the world, there is a growing tidal wave of popular outcry against Israel's ongoing genocide in Gaza. Among them were anti-Zionist Jews who staged a massive sit-in at the U.S. Capitol demanding a Gaza ceasefire as well as in the San Francisco Bay Area. Joining us today on Arab Talk is Ariel Koren. In her recent opinion piece with Ellen Brodsky, we are anti-Zionist Jews and we see genocide unfolding in Gaza. 
She explains how Israel meets all the criteria of genocide under international law. Corin is an activist with the No Tech for Apartheid campaign against Google's Nimbus security surveillance, which it supplied Israel to suppress Palestinians. As a result, she was forced to resign from Google. Welcome back to Arab Talk, Ariel. Thank you, Jamal. So there is a growing movement of anti-Zionist Jews who have been speaking out against Israel's occupation and apartheid practices, but this is the first where I've seen them holding a sit-in at Congress and, and getting arrested. What's uh, the driving force behind that? Anti-Zionist Jewish folks are the growing majority of the Jewish community. Over the past two weeks, we've seen a genocide unfold against the people of Gaza, and so it's been a moment where you've really seen more and more and more anti-Zionist Jews kind of awaken to the fact that in addition to holding anti-Zionist views, they need to really act on anti-Zionist views, be vocal, you know, be a part of direct action, really take action in order to demand an end to the violence. And then not only to the acute genocidal violence that we're seeing unfold in Gaza, but generally an end to occupation, an end to apartheid, and to Israeli settler colonialism and a free Palestine, ultimately. But anti-Zionist Jews have existed for a long time, and it's not just over the past two weeks. You know, it's not like anti-Zionist Jews suddenly exist. We've existed for as long as Zionism has existed. It's just that mainstream media and, you know, all of the places where we see power concentrated in our society are intent on censoring and repressing the voices of anti-Zionist Jewish people in order to create a false narrative that Jewish identity you know, is is tantamount to Zionism or equivalent to Zionism. And that's not the case. Um, and so I think the big, as you said, Jamal, kind of the big change that we're seeing over the past two weeks is that anti-Zionist Jews are extremely fed up with the false narratives of Jewish identity that falsely equate Jewish identity with, with Zionist ideology and are really, really intent on taking to the streets taking direct action, taking political action, mobilizing, being vocal, and doing whatever, literally whatever is needed and whatever can possibly be done to end this violence. I mean, you've said it in in, in, in this description, but what I meant really, it, it was the first time for U.S. media to take notice in a way because of the masses that you were able to muster, you know, and, and, and going to Capitol, Capitol Hill when we see experts talking about how this crisis affects Jews in this country, we, we don't see anti-Zionist Jews on CNN, Fox News, MSN, even MSNBC. Um, uh, the voices are mostly vetted and uh, represented through ADL. Uh, do you think that this will change anytime soon? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's good that you bring that up because it's like you said, the only reason we're getting any media attention, like the only reason that anti-Zionist Jewish perspective is getting any voice or airtime in the media is because of the scale of the direct action that anti-Zionist Jewish folks are taking. Like it's just such an immense scale that it's impossible to ignore. So like you mentioned um, in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday, I believe it was 10,000 anti-Zionist Jewish people who sat, who staged a sit-in and a march and a direct action in the Capitol, I believe it was over 300 anti-Zionist Jewish people were arrested in Washington, D.C. In New York City, 
We've seen thousands and thousands of anti-Zionist Jewish people take to the streets. Over 100 anti-Zionist Jewish people were arrested by the NYPD, by the police in New York, um, as a result of taking direct action. This included an elderly anti-Zionist woman who was using a cane and who was in her 80s. In San Francisco in the Bay, we had last Thursday... We had a group of anti-Zionist Jewish people lock down the main entrance to the San Francisco Federal Building. And the week after, this past Wednesday, anti-Zionist Jews were part of the coalition, which was a large multiracial, multi-ethnic coalition, including Palestinian folks, Arab folks from all over the world and all over diaspora, um, the Black community, the Latin community, a really, really large community that included many anti-Zionist Jewish people. We blocked every single entrance to the San Francisco Federal Building in order to fully shut down the business for the entire day across the entire building. And then thousands and thousands, we believe close to 10,000 people, showed up to a mass rally. And amongst those thousands of people, there were at least a thousand anti-Zionist Jewish folks there, right? Um, And so it's really only the massive scale that is forcing media media folks' hand a little bit, and they're kind of forced to not ignore anti-Zionist Jews anymore. But we're still seeing an immense amount of repression. I mean, I know you mentioned the the piece that Ellen Brodsky, who's the volunteer leader of the Bay Area Jewish Voice for Peace chapter, and myself published this past week about the fact that anti-Zionist Jews are charging Israel and and the United States by through its complicity with genocide. Right. Um, that even getting that op-ed published was close to impossible. We had to go to so many different media outlets, um, even the media outlet that ultimately did publish. You know, there was a lot of a lot of kind of negotiating that had to go into convincing them to not water down our language and to actually platform us. Mm. Meanwhile, we've seen dozens and dozens, hundreds and hundreds of Zionist Jewish perspectives being platformed, just like you said, every time, you know, CNN talks about this issue if there's a there's if there's a Palestinian perspective and they're looking to counter that perspective with the Jewish perspective it's always the ADL the anti-defamation league and kind of the mainstream quote unquote mainstream I don't know if that is even appropriate anymore because of the fact that again like we are the growing majority as anti-zionists but you know the the zionist lobby from within the Jewish community is always what gets platformed. And so we've had countless kind of back and forth arguments with journalists over the past couple of weeks saying, why are you only platforming the Zionist Jewish voice when it's been made painfully clear to you that the anti-Zionist Jewish voice is indeed the growing majority and does indeed represent our community and what our community wants, which is a free Palestine and justice for Palestinians. Why are we not getting any platform? And it's not a coincidence. It's intentional because it feeds directly in to private sector incentives with the Israeli government and with, you know, with Israeli business. And it feeds directly into our government's incentives to continue to be able to indiscriminately support Israel. And it's so incredibly convenient for our private sector leaders and for our elected officials to be able to say we're representing the interests of the Jewish community here. And the minute that we get the airtime we need to say, these aren't the interests of the Jewish community. We want a free Palestine. We are anti-Zionist. That is when that entire narrative collapses. And that's why they're working so hard to suppress anti-Zionist voices. 
Well, they can't suppress you forever. Uh, I mean, it's sad in, in a way, and, and I have to mention here, it's sad to see civilians uh, and children uh, getting slaughtered both on the Israeli and Palestinian side. I mean, this is something that cannot be uh, even fathomed uh, to, to even talk about it. But however, uh, you know, this is the only time they decide sometimes to, like I said, to like you got this article published. Otherwise, if you didn't have this uh, movement, uh, growing movement, and we uh, we have a, a major war, then, you know, it's bringing, uh, for example, representatives of Jewish Voice for Peace. They're not, they're never there. I never see them anywhere in the, you know, on the ma mainstream media. Absolutely. That's correct. And, and, and you, you brought up the ADL and, and I think you're right that normally kind of quote unquote mainstream media like CNN and some of those really big channels, they, they always go back to the Zionist Jewish voice. And in most cases, they bring representatives from the Anti-Defamation League. And I think it's really important for folks who are kind of new to the conversation, who might not have awareness about what the ADL is, to be grounded in some context about the ADL. So if you hear the name ADL, Anti-Defamation League, you might assume that what they're doing is something that's honorable and noble, right? The ADL, what they call themselves and what they say they do is that they're one of the quote unquote leading civil rights organizations. And they say that they're a leading civil rights org in the fight against racism and anti-Semitism. So that's how they've branded themselves, right? Which is very convenient for our elected officials to be able to kind of parade the ADL around and, and quote the ADL. But in reality, the ADL is a massive $230 million project with a very long history of colluding to smear and surveil and sabotage liberation movements. Um, they're actually the largest non-governmental -gov police trainer in the country. So the ADL leads deadly exchange programs that send U.S. police officers to train with the Israeli army in order to learn from Israel's brutal policing tactics and apply them back in the United States. And for decades, the ADL has fueled this this sort of deadly violence, this what, what's being called the deadly exchange, and worked as a proxy to the United States government, feeding information to the FBI and spying on Palestinian organizers. And they continue to be behind a lot of the campaigns that we've seen over the past couple of weeks and also historically, um, campaigns that are designed to smear Palestinian scholars and activists and, of course, allied scholars and activists, so folks who are in solidarity with Palestinians, with false accusations of anti-Semitism. So for those of us who are anti-Zionist Jews, we see right through this. And when we see the ADL and adjacent groups being platformed to speak for all Jewish voices, we know that we really need to stand up and resist them. But I think it's really important for us as a movement to be aware of what the ADL is. And when we see journalism, you know, mainstream media continuously platforming the ADL to stand up and demand that there be a diversity of voices and that the ADL be deplatformed. Going to your piece um, in The Guardian, you methodically explain how what Israel is doing fits the definition of genocide as defined by international law. There are 10 stages. Uh, what are some of the key distinguishing features of uh, genocide? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the point that we were making with this op-ed is we were trying to stand up because Palestinians have been saying this for not just over the past two weeks, for decades and decades and decades. 
But I think what has happened is that the mainstream media, like we've discussed, has platformed a Zionist Jewish voice and has platformed Jewish voices that have been hyper fixated on the mourning and grief that has ensued after the civilian casualties of Israeli people. Um, and what we wanted to do was to be an anti-Zionist Jewish voice that could focus the conversation on the fact that what is happening right now constitutes as genocidal violence. You have Israeli ministry officials and government officials who are literally calling the people of Gaza and Palestinian people, quote unquote, human animals, saying these are human animals and we need to act accordingly, saying we want to turn Gaza into a city of tents with no buildings left standing, right? There have been countless um, quotes and expressions of intent to wipe an entire population off the map. And of course, one of the key features of a genocide, one of the key predictors of, or precursors to genocide is when the government officials responsible for that genocide start to use language designed to dehumanize the population and the community and the people that you're intending to commit genocide against. And by dehumanizing that community, you're able to desensitize an entire population to the massacre of that group of people. And so by saying these are human animals and by consistent, consistently dehumanizing the people of Gaza and the people of Palestine, we see Israeli elected officials and Israeli government officials setting the stage for, for clear intent to commit genocide. And again, we've seen the Israeli government over the past two weeks express that intent and then literally tell the people of Gaza that they have 24 hours to flee their land or to be killed by a bombing campaign. And so essentially what they're presenting is the choice between ethnic cleansing, being forced to flee the place that you call home, the only place that you call home, being forced to flee or literally face death. And in case that isn't evil and genocidal enough, while these folks were fleeing, Israel then decides to bomb them and to bomb the exit routes and to make it completely impossible. And not only to bomb government targets, but also civilian targets, to bomb hospitals, markets, clinics, homes, mosques, churches. This is genocide. And more and more of the Jewish community has risen up over the past two weeks to say enough, not in our name, we will stand in unwavering solidarity with the Palestinian people in the struggle against this genocidal violence, and not just that, but in the struggle for full freedom. Uh, international law exists to hold countries accountable for wholesale slaughter of people. Why aren't the EU, Britain, and the US uh, invoking it, in your opinion? I think that's been one of the most enraging and infuriating experiences for so many people over the past two weeks, which is that you see these mass uprisings and you see that the global community, the entire global community is overwhelmingly standing in support and in solidarity with the Palestinian people. And yet the entire West, in terms of where power is concentrated, the governments of the West have indiscriminately supported both materially and also through rhetoric the military that is responsible for this violence. And it has been absolutely infuriating. And I think that's the reason that so many people 
are rising up and taking action because we know that the behavior of our governments are completely misaligned with what with with justice and with humanity. It's just absolutely no humanity. And so seeing, I mean, particularly in the United States, the fact that Biden has gone to Israel and has continuously over the past two weeks, even while Israel has just indiscriminately decided to take out thousands and thousands of people and force over a million people to be displaced. Biden has expressed his support for this extremely violent military violence, and not only on the government side, but we see it in in the private sector, right? We've seen, you know, I come from tech, and like you mentioned, I used to work in Google and and quit in protest because of the $1.2 billion contract between Google and the Israeli military. But what we've seen across the tech industry is that you know, CEOs of large tech companies have not only come forward and expressed indiscriminate support for a military that is committing genocidal violence, but also expressed intent to fire and to retaliate against employees of their companies for doing the bare minimum and for simply sharing the news about what's happening in Palestine or, or simply attempting to give voice to the Palestinian perspective. So for an example, at Google over the past week, we've seen an immense amount of, and it's always been bad, the type of repression and censorship from the company has always been bad. But these past two weeks, it's been, it's just been another level um, where we've seen the company retaliate en masse against not only Palestinian workers, particularly Palestinian workers, but also workers who express solidarity with Palestinians, also anti-Zionist Jewish workers as well included, um, folks who have been threatened to lose their jobs, folks who have been called into human resources and issued warnings, folks who have been threatened to not be paid their their full paycheck. Um, I mean, it's just been absolutely, absolutely shameful the way that we've seen people with power behaving in this during this moment. I think this is a very important point because no one mentions this. Uh, and I just wanted to add to what you were saying also, students at universities. I mean, you have professors now calling saying, don't hire my students because, you know, and this is uh, one case and, uh, you know, trying to discredit uh, the students that you taught just because for speaking um, speaking out. The uh, other thing is what we see yeah, we know like now it's kind of like the West follows the in, into the, you know follows the United States in condemning everything you know uh, the, the against Palestinians uh, and sides with Israel, but we've also seen massive uh, demonstrations across the globe. I mean, people your age group and and younger. So, do you feel that there is kind of like a split between? governments on one side and then and then the population absolutely i mean this is it's unprecedented the type of scale of the uprisings that are happening and i know like when you <clears throat> you asked me to kind of just speak to to anti-zionist jewish folks who are who are rising up i mean 10,000 anti-zionist people anti-zionist jewish people taking to washington dc 300 jewish folks being arrested. I mean, it's the largest Jewish solidarity. It's the largest Jewish protest in solidarity with Palestine in history and in, in, in all of his. I mean, it's just absolutely massive. 
And then, I mean, that's just one community, right? What we've seen all across the world is multi-ethnic, multiracial, unequivocal solidarity with Palestinians, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions of people taking to the streets, canceling their plans, saying this is no business as usual. This is not a normal time. We need to stop what we're doing and we need to mobilize. I mean, it's very clear from seeing all of these mass mobilizations, it's clear that the global community stands with Palestine. And and particularly in the West, it's clear that that the masses are with Palestine and that the frustration with our elected officials in this moment goes beyond words. I mean, it's just there's no way to describe the type of shame and rage that you're seeing the masses feel when it comes to the way that our government is behaving. And so, I mean, absolutely, that's that's where that's where the heart and the humanity is. It's the masses are standing for a free Palestine. And also understanding that ceasefire is the bare minimum. Right now, you know, the urgent call is for ceasefire, but that is of course the bare minimum. The demand not to return to baseline, to a baseline of siege occupation, but freedom, right? And so, I mean, absolutely, that that's what the global community, that's where the global community stands, and these mobilizations have made that painfully clear. Israel and, and Western media, they've been uh, trying to frame this whole, you know, they describe it as a conflict. They don't talk about an occupation as if, like, as you said earlier, that the events of the past two weeks, that's it. They don't look beyond that before it or, and so forth. But they're trying to frame this as a religious war between Muslims and, and Jews. I mean, how, how, how do you confront this? I think it's everything that we've, that we've discussed already, right? It's, it's absolute lies. It's propaganda. I mean, it really is. It's not an exaggeration to say that anti-Zionist Jewish people are the majority, the growing majority of the Jewish community. We really, really are. And so the idea that you can you can just say that Zionism equals Judaism and that all Jewish folks are Zionists, I mean, it doesn't stand anymore. It doesn't stand. And mainstream media and our governments are intent on repressing that truth, but that's not going to be possible for much longer because, like you said, the masses are coming forward and the scale of the anti-Zionist Jewish movement for solidarity with Palestine is is growing at such an exponential level that it just won't be possible to suppress that truth any longer. And the other truth is that there are more white Christian Zionist people in the United States then there are Jews total in the United States. So the idea that Zionism is an inherently Jewish ideology is also a lie. Zionism, you know, one of the things that anti-Zionist Jewish people are coming forward to insist on and to try to raise awareness about is that Zionism is actually an inherently anti-Semitic ideology. And the main drivers of, of, the, of the Zionist lobby and of the Zionist ideology in the West is the white Christian evangelical lobby. And so the idea, you know, that this is a quote-unquote religious war between Jewish people and Muslim people 
It's just a lie. That's what it is. It's a lie. Well, following up on this, Biden justifies uh, Israel's uh, sanctity as a safe haven uh, for Jews. What do you say to the narrative that Israel equals Jewish? And, and back to the ADL, which tries to corral all Jews under the Zionist umbrella to the point where to criticize Israel is anti-Semitic. How does, this, how does it account for the anti-Zionist movement? You know what the anti-Zionist Jewish movement is really trying to to insist upon and to vocalize right now is that we believe that Jewish safety relies, you know, Jewish Jewish safety relies on the safety of all people. It's it's this, you know, you might have heard this term like safety and solidarity, and that's what anti-Zionist Jewish folks are trying to are trying to vocalize right now. The fact that Palace, that none of us will be free until Palestine is free, and none of us will be safe until Palestinians have safety and dignity and and land sovereignty. That's what we're insisting upon. There was an 84-year-old anti-Zionist Jewish person named Osha who lost parents in the Holocaust um, and who was older himself than the state of Israel, based here in the Bay Area. And at 84 years old, he chained himself down to the San Francisco Federal Building. He chained himself down at 84 years old in solidarity with the Palestinian struggle and in solidarity with demands for an immediate ceasefire. And he said in front of a crowd of thousands and thousands and thousands of people who had come in protest, he said, as a Jewish person older than the state of Israel, I know for a fact the Jews will not be safe until Palestine is free and that nobody is free until Palestine is free. And the idea that the Israeli government has Jewish safety as a priority is absolutely ludicrous at this point. I mean, if the Israeli government, why are the hostages not free yet? There were, you know, there was an offer for two hostages to be released this morning and the Israeli government said no to that offer. I mean, imagine if this were really about protecting Jewish livelihood and defending Jewish safety, then the response would not be a military response. The response would not be to, you know, express intent and then commit genocide against an entire population of people in Gaza. But what the Israeli government wants isn't Jewish safety. It's Palestinian blood. And anti-Zionist Jewish people are able to see that and to insist on that. I think it's also important to come back when you mention this idea of the of this so-called religious war between Jewish people and Muslim people. You know, it's really important to emphasize that white Christian Zionism is the top funding and lobbying source for Israel in the United States and globally. Christians United for Israel, or KUFI, is the largest Israel lobby in the United States, and it has 10 million members compared to to the largest Jewish lobby group, APAC, which has just 100,000 members. So again, 10 million to 100,000. And it's really important for folks who are new to this conversation to learn about Kufir, Christians United for Israel, because this is a white Christian group that has a highly anti-Semitic membership base that believes that Jews are an inferior race and that has as its main goal Zionism, driving forward the Zionist lobby. And so it's important to understand that Zionism operates as a tool in the larger machinery 
of white Christian supremacy. And I think understanding that and being grounded in that can help to understand for folks who are trying to under to 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 try to be able to articulate the fact that anti-Zionism is a central pillar of anti-racism work. And this is why we as anti-Zionist Jews, you know, we believe that Zionism is first and foremost a racist ideology that targets Palestinian people and anti-Palestinian racist ideology. But we also understand that Zionism is inherently anti-Semitic. What's your message to U.S. and Israeli politicians who have been egging for more carnage? I would repeat the anti-Zionist call right now, the, you know, because I'm obviously here speaking on behalf of anti-Zionist Jewish people. So I would just, I would kind of echo what our call has been, which is not in our name. Stop weaponizing our identity. Stop weaponizing the identity of the Jewish community against our will. And even as we have made painfully clear to you the fact that the growing majority of the Jewish community is anti-Zionist, stop weaponizing our identity to justify your complicity in genocide. That is what our message is. And when you tokenize an entire group, when you exploit the identity of an entire group in order to justify driving forward your own depraved political agenda, that is anti-Semitism. Ariel Koren, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you so much. That's the voice in the face of Ariel Koren discussing her recent piece in The Guardian, We're Anti-Zionist Jews and We See Genocide Unfolding in Gaza. Well, this relates, Jamal, to our discussion of media bias and the misinformation that's going on right now with the humanitarian crisis that's going on in Gaza. Basically, war crimes are being committed in Gaza by the Israeli military every day. Uh, we are hearing the Israeli uh, military being the, the main talking points that the mainstream media are getting. And I don't know, I've been watching and listening pretty carefully. I haven't seen a single anti-Zionist Jewish individual who's been given the opportunity to speak about this anywhere on the mainstream media. It seems like Ariel and her and her group uh, have a lot to say about what's happening in Gaza right now. Well, I mean, listen, uh, not only, um, you know, uh, Jewish Voice for Peace and, and others, they have not been invited. Uh, the speakers usually are vetted by the ADL and, and APAC, and of course, uh, the spokesperson for the Israeli military, uh, uh, Peter Lerner, um, who was born in London, he appears frequently on um, on television and on and you hear him on on radio. But the most important thing, just even when they have Palestinians, because they want to give a pretense of balance, a you know overview, and we've spoken about this many times. You know the Palestinians are just died. They don't use they, they they got killed, and they just keep focusing on Hamas as if the problem with Hamas or the problem with the Israeli occupation started on October 7th with no context exactly. with no context and frequently going to Palestinians asking them to condemn Hamas never asking Israelis or uh, anyone else to condemn the atrocities that Israel ha uh, has been committing uh, on Gaza and on the West Bank and again I want to repeat this has been going on for the past 75 years it has not started on October 7th and that's that's the main the main thing 
when you watch, and, and, and I have to say, uh, Palestinians have been uh, pushing back because if you see whenever they go to interview someone and the way the media tries to frame it, basically, they refuse and reject to accept that framing that they have been used to do these, in my opinion, lazy reporters who receive their talking points and we know where they receive them from. So in a way, there is a war of misinformation going on, okay? Uh, and and the numbers, think about it, Jess, 1,800 Palestinian kids have been killed. Well, I would say murdered. And more close to the number now of civilians that close to 5,000, close to 5,000. 15,000 injured. And Israel, and talking, talking about war crimes, uh, cutting of water, electricity, and food. Think about the other thing. The United States is the only country on the Security Council to veto, not once, but twice, a cease of fire, or even a temporary cease of fire. And they vetoed that to allow Israel to keep bombing from the sky. And then finally, because of the outcry, see, there is this is something I talked with Ariel about just is, there's a major split between what governments, Western governments say, and people. Because you could Absolutely. see there is a huge solidarity, you know, with Palestinians across the globe, from the demonstrations in the middle of London, New York, Washington, D.C., Paris, even though this is Paris, France, the... Uh, the land of the uh, Liberté, Égalité, and Fraternité, they tell people, that they oppress them from demonstrating, same thing with Germany, but yet the masses go out. And if anything, if they didn't, if they, not only they were showing support to the Palestinian struggle, but people are asking to stop the bloodshed, and governments are saying, no, we want to see this go on. Well, that, that's really the big story here, Jamal, is that you have a president of the United States who's giving the apartheid regime of Israel and its murderous military who are engaging in these war crimes. You have the president of the United States, President Biden, giving cover, supporting, and allowing them to bomb civilians, murder civilians, uh, destroy civilian infrastructure, destroy hospitals, not allowed food, water, medicine, and fuel inside the Gaza Strip, and continue this campaign of essentially carpet bombing a civilian population. We know that the Israelis wanted to do this and have done this in the past, Jamal, but is what is really striking about what's happening in the modern time of this is that you have the President of the United States and his lackeys, including Antony Blinken, supporting these war crimes. I think that the United States, Jamal, is going to be equally complicit in the war crime tribunal, which will be coming up when the dust settles and the amount of destruction that is exercised in Palestine, in Gaza, and now in the West Bank and in Jerusalem, when all the truth comes out, the United States will be party to the apartheid regime for these war crimes. They're giving them cover, which is extraordinary at this time. I mean, you know, there is no humanity. Um, after listening to all and watching everybody demonstrating, Biden comes on uh, TV and he says that he's giving the Palestinians $100 million. As if he wants, he wants to be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> really, like $100 million, and you've mentioned uh, Israel gets a check of 
or something like that, billion dollars in in uh, military and all kinds of other financial support, and Palestinians get a hundred million dollars. You know, you can't a uh, hundred million dollars. You can't even build a block uh, of homes where uh, no, you can't that, that have gotten destroyed by basically U.S. made uh, bombs, and and so that's in a way an insult. I don't know what. You know, what is he thinking about? I mean, in, listen, we've talked, the United States has taken the position since Truman, President Truman, that it will support Israel. And and we know that. That's that's political science 101. But I've never, ever seen a president so blunt and outright warmongering. I mean, he used to think, you know, during the, of course, we should think of that way because Biden voted for the war on Iraq. Biden right. was a Democrat who sat across the aisle. He voted to support the war on Iraq. And he's and a warmonger, he, Jamal. Exactly. He's a warmonger. So so here he goes, he flies all the way to Israel and usually like, okay, you want to take to get the president out of the of the United States, leave the country to fly. Maybe this guy's on a peace mission to say, hey, cool it. Let's talk. Let's work on on, on releasing the hostages said. and so forth. He goes there and he doubles down and sends that message to uh, a murderer like Benjamin Netanyahu. You know that that, that love fest at uh, when they at the airport and I basically says. And of course, I don't want to even go to all the other congressmen, congresswomen, with the exception of the few who um, you know spoke out like Rashida Tlaib and Jamal Bowman and Ilhan Omar and others who are against this carnage. Everyone else is blood, lust, you know, driven. Uh, you got presidential candidates like Nikki Haley said, finish them, finish them. I mean, finish who? Finish well, the, the whole Palestinian what? living Basically. in Gaza, finish the Basically. children. Basically, and, yes, Jamal. They're calling for the they're calling for the elimination of Palestinians in Gaza and in the West Bank and in Jerusalem and all of historic Palestine. I mean, we have to see what's unfolding before our eyes right now. We're seeing the potential for the largest displacement of Palestinians since 1948, Jamal. We you see when you see the Palestinians amassing at the border at Rafah. The numbers, the hundreds of thousands, if not a million Palestinians being displaced from their homes in Gaza right now, we're witnessing a catastrophe unlike anything we've seen since 1948. And the and the governments, because it's important to make that distinction, the Western governments of the world have turned their back yet again on Palestinian civilians. The individuals of these of these countries are saying something very different, Jamal. And as you said, rightly. It's extraordinary to see the amounts of protests worldwide that are going right, going on right now, condemning the murderous acts of the Israeli regime, the apartheid regime, and supporting Palestinians and their their absolute right to self determination. It's really extraordinary to see the split right now, Jamal. And I really believe, and we're going to get into this, and in, and in, you know, coming up here in our analysis, I believe that the United States yet again has missed calculated like they did after 9-11, Jamal. They're miscalculating again and going down the path of destruction and war, and they have not learned their lesson. I 
really believe that we're headed for something very, very, very catastrophic right now. Listen, I mean, we've talked about this before, and we said it's a horrible idea that for the U.S. taxpayers to bear the brunt That's to right. finance a war in Ukraine, okay? And, 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 and there are all these people who are cheerleaders for, for that war. Here we are involved in Ukraine. $75 billion have gone down the drain because nothing happened, nothing. You know, all this, uh, the reports that the Ukrainians are making headway and so it's forth. BS. It's exactly. Yes. And now Biden wants to drag us into a war, a regional war. And that's what we we started. This is now, okay, how long Gaza, you know, I mean, how long civilians in Gaza are going to be slaughtered while people are sitting in their living rooms? And I'm talking about people in the region, in Egypt, in Jordan, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Iraq, in Yemen, and so forth, watching children getting slaughtered. slaughtered. So basically the message that the United States is sending is that we're going to drag this whole region into a, uh, a war. And that's what they're looking. I don't know if it's a, an election campaign ploy, flexing the muscles. And think it. about it two, three weeks ago, Benjamin Netanyahu, his own people rejected him. They want him out. They've been demonstrating. There's a whole different thing against him. So now this is their exit. This is their exit ticket. Biden, what is what is he polling now? Twenty five percent, thirty percent. Well, it's thirty one to thirty five percent, and I believe a couple of things, Jamal. You're right. This is an election campaign. But can I remind you of Biden's infamous statement that he's made throughout his career? You have the president of the United States saying, and I quote, "I am a Zionist." It's an unbelievable, unimaginable thing to have a U.S. president come so far down on the side of racism, on ethnic cleansing, and saying that he is a Zionist when Zionism has been con committed to and has shown itself to want to ethnically cleanse historic Palestine and Palestinians. He has said that, Jamal. So part of it is a political calculation on the, on the part of President Biden. And there is some really wicked, warmongering side of him that has been committed to wars and destructions his whole career in Washington, the Iraq War, Afghanistan, uh, and now this what looks to be a regional war. I, I really believe that if there is a ground invasion in Gaza, Jamal, I think Hezbollah and some fronts in Syria are bound to open up in ways that are going to start this regional destabilization that has the potential to be very, very significant and very devastating. And then he sent warships to the uh, coast of Gaza. So, Two so major warships, six not-so-major warships. He's had ready-to-deploy orders, you know, kind of issued throughout the military. Not only this, they have a Delta Force already... Right. Uh, Already on the ground, it's yeah. Photograph with the Delta Delta Force. That the the, the, the uh, here here goes the secret uh, right right maneuvering. The the largest warship in the U.S. military, the uh, the Gerald R. Ford, is off the coast of the Mediterranean right now as we speak, Jamal, with four support vessels. He is warmongering. He's basically doing the same thing Benjamin Netanyahu is doing. They're really down in the polls, 
So what's the best thing they believe you can do to stay in office is to create a war. The difference with this time, Jamal, is that the world is you know is kind of universally the people on the ground throughout the world are against this slaughter of Palestinians, are against war, are against going in and ethnically cleansing Palestinians. And so you're going to see this division and this uh, kind of catastrophe unfold before our eyes. And it's important to let our listeners and viewers know the United States on the on the Security Council, as you said before, was the only country to veto uh, a resolution. A ceasefire. A ceasefire. That's all they're saying. Let's stop the carnage. Stop it. And the United States vetoed that. So when the President of the United States says, I am a Zionist, I think people need to look him straight in the eye and understand this person does not have the U.S. best interest in his heart. He's got something else going on. We've been saying this for years, Jamal. The policy of the U.S. government, of Joe Biden, towards the apartheid state of Israel is not in the U.S. best interest. I think the other thing to just note about that is that there's deep unrest within the State Department about the U.S. foreign policy towards the apartheid state. Well, we saw a resignation, at least. A top, yeah, one, Josh and one, one we know top, about, maybe there are yeah. others. And there are others that are contemplating it. There is a deep division within the State Department about this uh, policy that has kind of hurt the United States for decades now, but continues to go forward. So we're on the precipice of the most significant event in the modern era, Jamal. I really believe this. And the United States is headed down a very destructive path. Well, I mean, think about it this way, Jess. I mean, he tries to portray himself as humanitarian, humanist, a grand grandfatherly, and so forth. And now he basically wasted all the goodwill that the United States has developed with countries in the Middle East, regardless of what the governments. The governments, most of these governments are puppets. You see these people, you see these people demonstrating in the streets. He's turning these countries into another Iran. I have to say, when people complain that they see Iran or Iranians burning the Israeli flag and the American flag. Now you're seeing that happening in Bahrain. You're seeing it happening in Lebanon. You're seeing oh, it in happening in, in Yemen. You're seeing Cairo. it happening. These are allies, Cairo. You're seeing it happening there. So, you know, people are not going to you know, sit on their hands uh, watching children being slaughtered and seeing a belligerent, basically, president of the United States and members of Congress, and, and you know, they're all lining up, basically, uh, supporting Israel, both uh, financially and, 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 and with weapons and flying, basically lining up there to go and hug Benjamin Netanyahu. When Israel has been slaughtering Palestinians, we've never heard heard them raise a, a, their voices when children were killed in 2004 and 2006 and other incursions and 2012, when Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu Akli was murdered. Did they bring the killer? One person. One person fired that shot. Did they bring justice to her family? No. Well, Jamal, let's also talk about the 600 American uh, Americans who are stuck in Rafah right now in Gaza, who the United States doesn't care about. They 
they're fighting and and kind of getting all up in arms about the Americans that they want to have released uh, right now by Hamas. But there are 600 Americans sitting in the Gaza, uh, at, uh, sitting in Gaza at the Rafah border, who are unable to get out. So this idea that somehow you know what you ha- be ha- having an American passport creates this equality. We've we've challenged that uh, illusion or that delusion for many years. Nothing could be more uh, a better example of that is what we're seeing on the difference between some American citizens who they're fighting to get out and other American citizens that they've completely forgotten. So, you know, but I, I think we need to really speak about the grave humanitarian crisis that's going on, Jamal. I mentioned that at the beginning. On a normal day, to keep Palestinians in Gaza at the level of just barely surviving subsistence nourishment, you need 400 trucks of food, water, and medicine to come into Gaza every single day. There's 400 semi-trucks that come in every day. In the last day, Jamal, only 20 trucks were allowed in. This is this is a it, it's a it's unimaginable that they some of these that, trucks were bombed. Yes, I mean that's right. They were bombed. The roads leading to uh, getting these uh, uh, supplies into Gaza were bombed, but 20 trucks with no fuel and no drinking water and no electricity, Jamal, is creating a humanitarian crisis of unimaginable consequences at the hands of the United States. The United States, Joe Biden, Antony Blinken know what's going on, and they're giving the Israelis a free pass. Well, the plan, which we hear it loud and clear, is to ethnically cleanse now Gaza, which I don't think is going to work. They want to send them, they want to send one million plus Palestinians living in Gaza into Sinai, which Sinai refuses that. But there is a simple solution for that. Just if they, meaning the Israelis and those who support Israel, uh, care about the uh, civilians, uh, mean they and they wanna kind of ease their burden and 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 thin out uh, Gaza. The easy solution is allow these people to return to their towns and villages in uh, in Palestine, like Haifa, Yaffa, Akka where they originated from. So if they want them to go somewhere, why send them? Why, what I'm saying, these are refugees who were kicked out from Haifa, Yaffa, Why send them to a different country? Why send them to to Egypt? Their homes are few kilometers. This is the crux of the problem that no one talks about. Their homes are few kilometers away. Send them back there. Well, that's that's what has been, uh, that, that has been a demand under international law, to be able to return to one's home is guaranteed under international law. It's something we've been talking about for years. It's a Palestinian demand for 75 years. Many Palestinians in Gaza, Jamal, could see their villages that were depopulated in 1948 and 1967, could see the villages from their refugee camps. They literally could walk there if they were given the the inalienable right to return to their homes. That's the more just, honorable uh, solution to this. But Jamal, I know we only have a few minutes left, and I know you've been monitoring the, the, the media and the Arab world very carefully. I 
I, in my reading of the situation, uh, it does look like Hezbollah and what's and what's happening in Syria and what's happening in Yemen. I mean, they sent missiles from Yemen, you know, attempting to send them into, you know, into Israel. I suspect that uh, the possibility of a regional war is more than just 50-50. I think it's leaning toward Hezbollah does get involved. And if Hezbollah gets involved, all bets are off here. What do you think? Well, uh, it, it seems heading this way, unless uh, the United States exercises its influence, because that's the only country that can stop this carnage. And if they don't, I mean, here's the sad thing about it. It's not like you're going to have a regional war, but also not American interests are going to get affected in the region. This is something that they've been working on to develop for years. And I don't know what the the plan for, frankly, President Biden and the administration. I have no idea. But it seems to be he's just dragging us into another war that not only will cost American lives, but also this economy cannot sustain. Well, the world economy, Jamal, let's look at the world economy. Because the world is being... Um, fragmented and polarized even more because of this. And uh, the situation that's unfolding at a global geopolitical level is much worse now under Biden than it ever was before. The situation is, I mean, I think I do really believe that we're on the precipice of a major tipping point globally right now, not just economically, which is a definite possibility, but politically and in terms of the you know, nature of, of relations. Let's not forget, just two weeks ago, you had Israeli delegations in Riyadh, in Saudi Arabia, praying and making nice-nice with the Saudis in terms of rapprochement. Uh, I don't think that's in the cards anymore, Jamal. And Bahrain, which signed on, you know, signed on to all these agreements with the apartheid state, had some of the largest demonstrations uh, with uh, in the Arab world right now. Did you know that in Tahrir Square, they banned protests since the Arab Spring? CC banned them, and they had the first protest in Tahrir Square in Cairo because of what's happening in Gaza right now. The situation is getting much, much worse. The United States has miscalculated yet again. And Jamal, we have to say, Joe Biden, Antony Blinken, United States foreign policy is on the wrong side of history, is on the wrong side of humanity, is on the wrong side of international law, and is on the wrong side of humanitarian beliefs in the world. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest shows, and we'll talk to you next week. See you next week.